0: You're listening to Frankly Speaking, weekly primary care insights for your practice, brought to you by Primed. This is Frankly Speaking, and I am your host, Dr. Frank J. Domino. I'm a professor here in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Massachusetts. With me today is Dr. Alan Ehrlich. Dr. Ehrlich is an associate professor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and executive editor of DynaMed, an online evidence-based database. He is the former chair of family medicine at St. Vincent's Hospital in Worcester. And today we're gonna be talking about breast cancer screening. Welcome, Alan. Thanks, Frank. I have heard a variety of opinions about how we should be screening for breast cancer And um, in the news lately has been the word overdiagnosis. A number of articles have been published in the last two to three years using the term overdiagnosis associated with breast cancer. Can you tell me a little bit about what overdiagnosis is and how will I know if that's happening to my
1: patient? So overdiagnosis is a concept from screening that is based on the fact that cancers are not all the same. Some cancers are naturally going to be more aggressive than others, some will be growing faster, some will be growing slower. When you are screening, the goal is to find cancers at an early stage when treating them is usually easier. But the cancers that grow the fastest are the ones most likely to progress in between your screening intervals. So the the less aggressive cancers are the ones that you will start picking out more of when you're doing the screening. Now some cancers grow so slowly that in fact they would never become symptomatic during the patient's lifetime. That could be because the person's going to get hit by a bus the next day, it could just be because their life expectancy is five years and the tumor is going to take 10 years to become symptomatic, and, and that results in some patients being identified through a screening mechanism, which by definition is designed to pick people up before they're symptomatic, who would never be bothered by it. It is a form of what is called length time bias in screening. And so the concern there is more patients are being identified with cancer than truly would have been affected had we just waited for people to become symptomatic. Let me just answer your question about how would you know if it's affecting your patient? You would never know. It is a population concept. It is not something that can be applied to an individual patient. So we can say, gee, with screening, we identified 10 more patients who didn't need to be treated, but we will never know which 10 they are. Well, just to summarize then, overdiagnosis
0: is making the diagnosis of a problem, yet doing so doesn't necessarily improve their quality of life or their length of life and when invasive procedures are needed, may actually cause harm or
1: even shorten their life. Absolutely, another way to think about this is for people who are familiar with number needed to treat. Mm -hmm. If we show that there's a 10% benefit in a treatment group, we will say, well, the number needed to treat is 10. What happens is there may be a difference of sixty percent get better with the treatment, and only fifty percent get better with the placebo. In those types of studies, you never know who are the ten percent that were getting the benefit versus people who would have gotten better anyhow. And so, this this is the dilemma. When you have a patient in front of you who has cancer, we have no way of knowing with our current techniques. Is this the cancer that's going to rapidly progress, and we should be treating right now? or is this one where we, it's easier to wait and not risk those adverse effects that you mentioned? So very
0: recently, uh, there was a follow-up study published uh, out of Denmark that looked at breast cancer screening and helped clarify this picture of overdiagnosis. They They, they mentioned a bit about um, who to screen, when to screen, and, and what the outcomes were. Could, could you talk about it a bit, please? Sure. This was
1: published uh, at the start of 2017 in Annals, on, uh, Annals of Internal Medicine online. And this is the second study out of Denmark, although I believe they're separate from uh, the study that was published a couple years ago, again, similar uh, demographics. And Denmark is very interesting because what happened was they introduced it in one geographic region at a time. And so they were able to do a direct comparison between a large part of the country where the screening program was implemented and another part where it wasn't. And at least according to the authors of the paper, the people who were not in the screening program had a very low rate of having mammography. So they had a natural control group, but again, this wasn't a randomized trial. There have been looks at uh, overdiagnosis in populations that have come from randomized trials, but typically the follow-up has only been six to eight years, which really isn't long enough to know if these cancers that are detected were truly going to remain asymptomatic. There have been other cohort studies in the past that have tried to answer this question, but they often look at what happened after screening was introduced and compared it to what was happening before screening was introduced. That's fine if the rate of cancer is constant over time, but we know that the rate of breast cancer has been gradually increasing, and so you have that bias introduced in a before and after study. In this case, what they did was they had multiple different analyses. The screening was just for women aged 50 to 69. They looked at populations of women under 50 and women over 70 as comparisons for what was going on, And they also looked at the group within the area that was getting screening compared to similar age groups that were not getting screening. And they looked at the time frame from before the screening program was implemented to after. So there was a number of different ways of looking at this. Uh, And the end result was they found that after screening was introduced, there was a marked increase in the number of early stage cancers. But what they didn't find was a substantial difference in the number of late-stage cancers. Ideally, what you would want to see is in the first year or two after screening, there's a big uptick in advanced cancers as people are being identified just before it might become symptomatic. And then, as you are identifying early cancers, when they can be treated, you should see a significant drop in the rate of advanced cancers. And they never saw that significant drop. The final point I'll make on this is that compared to the group where there was no screening, there were different baseline rates of uh, cancer. And the baseline rates of cancer in the group where there was no screening was trending upward, Mm -hmm. whereas in the group that got screening for advanced cancers, it was mostly flat. So you could argue that the absence of an increase was in some way beneficial for the screening. So just to summarize, uh, it sounds like um,
0: there was a small increase in diagnosis of, of later stage cancers in this study, but overall it seemed to uh, level off and that would imply
1: that maybe there wasn't any benefit. Yeah, I don't think that there was that much of an increase, but the point was they did not see a decrease. There was a large increase in the number of early stage cancers identified throughout the program. Really? So. Again, that is suggesting some degree of overdiagnosis. How significant that is is debatable. When you look at data from other studies, the rates of overdiagnosis that have been estimated range from about 2% up to about 40%. But most of the ones that have a very high rate of overdiagnosis have some of the flaws I discussed earlier. And so I think the true rate is probably in the 5 to 10% range which is not trivial, but it, uh, it needs to be put in perspective. Okay,
0: so it sounds like uh, aggressive screening programs find cancers, but some of them, maybe up to 10% of those or even up to 40% of those might be cancers that were probably not going to have an impact on the patient's mortality or, or morbidity and that finding them
1: might induce harm. Is that what you're saying? I I want to shy away from those really uh, big numbers of overdiagnosis because I think that that can give the wrong impression and it can lead to people wondering why there should be any screening at all. What I would say is this, that we do know that screening reduces breast cancer-related mortality but it does not affect overall mortality. So there's some benefit to screening but there's also harms. And you you mentioned some of that harm, but let me go into that a little bit more. There was a, another article that was just published earlier this year in the Cancer Journal. And they looked at women who were treated for breast cancer and how many of them had adverse effects. And 45% of the women treated for breast cancer reported at least one severe or very severe adverse effect. What this tells me is that, Treatment is not benign. That there is benefits in reducing breast cancer related mortality, but the people who are going through treatment are having significant complications, and so we certainly want to minimize anyone being treated for breast cancer who doesn't need to be. Alan,
0: taking all this thought of overdiagnosis and the implications of overtreatment with its with its harms. Um, what should we tell our patients about screening for breast cancer?
1: What I would tell both patients and you know the whole question comes up, what we tell your family members and things like this, is that screening on balance provides benefits, but the amount of benefit may have been overstated in the past. For now, it makes sense to continue to follow the guidelines because we do know that approximately uh, one in uh, nine women are going to experience breast cancer at some point in their lifetime. And most women uh, have a uh, particular fear of breast cancer as a disease. And so trying to minimize that, to avoid that, uh, or to catch it when it can be treated early, I think is a worthwhile goal. On the other hand, there's always going to be some limits. You know. We're not going to do mammography every month, okay? Is one year the right interval? Is it two years? Is it five years? Some of this stuff hasn't been looked at, and it's based on a lot of basic science. That basic science is related to how do tumors that are already detectable grow. And not a lot of it is based on some of the newer technologies we have that can detect tumors that may only be five millimeters in size. We don't know the natural history of those types of tumors very well. We know the immune system is constantly uh, surveilling uh, malignancies, and some malignancies will regress without any treatment. We don't know who they are or what are these characteristics. I think over time, as we get better at identifying the genetic markers or the uh, biomarkers on tumors, then it may be easier to say you have a cancer that can be monitored and you have a cancer that needs to be treated very aggressively right now. And so that's a lot of unknowns for the future and for right now I would stick with uh, the recommendations from the major guideline groups, although they are somewhat inconsistent themselves. The U.S. Preventive Services Task Force recommends women ages 50 to uh, 74 receive mammogram screening every other year. American Cancer Society suggest starting somewhat earlier, around age 45. And all groups agree that women uh, starting at age 40 should have uh, an informed discussion about the risks and benefits. There is more benefit in terms of an individual woman who is prevented from having cancer at an early age. But there are a lot more women who will have false positives from screening and other uh, adverse problems because the incidence of cancer is so much lower in that age group. Alan,
0: your family and my family have both been personally affected by breast cancer. Are there any other final specifics you might wanna give our audience when an abnormal mammogram result is found about how to triage it and how to manage it?
1: So, one of the problems is that with an abnormal mammogram, it doesn't automatically mean that you have cancer. But automatically means that people get very anxious and worried. And it's hard to provide that balance between let's take things slow, let's find and by slow I don't mean time wise, but I mean in terms of how people react to it, let's get all the facts. And it's hard to balance that with the fact that often you know this is happening in young women and this is potentially a life threatening illness. So I think the The advice I would give people is that when there's an abnormal mammogram, it needs to be pursued promptly, uh, but people should not jump to conclusions about what it means. There are going to be a lot of false positives. These can produce a lot of anxiety, and there's been a number of studies that look at, you know, if someone has a false positive, are they, does that make them more likely to have mammograms in the future or less likely? And what you don't want is to create a situation where there's so much distress and anxiety while waiting for the final confirmation or uh, you know, determination that there is no cancer, uh, you don't want that to become such a burden to the, to the woman. At the same time, you don't want to delay a diagnosis. And if someone has breast cancer, at this point in time, they need to get treated promptly. The final thing is, we haven't even touched on ductal carcinoma in situ, DCIS, which is really a whole other discussion when, and I don't want to get into it right now, but that just adds to the fact that you can have these abnormal mammograms get a finding that there's a lot of controversy about what's the best way to handle.
0: I, I, I agree with you completely. i found that when I find an abnormal mammogram, I have a trusted surgeon or two that I like to go to and have the patient see before any further testing is done. Because a, a, a surgeon with a, a strong sense of understanding mammographic findings and patient concerns will provide considerably less biopsies and anxiety with close follow-up than things like stereotactic biopsies or aggressive aggressive care. So one of the important clinical practice changes that I've, I've had to adopt is using that referral uh,
1: as my first line of defense.
0: Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think, I, I think it's a good idea. The, the relationship that a woman will have with the surgeon is one where the surgeon, a, a good surgeon, is establishing a high level of confidence. They project an air of, we are going to take care of this problem. And the, uh, even the interventional radiologists are primarily diagnosticians. And they're not they're naturally going to be limited in what they can do for the woman in terms of reassurance. And so I think that therapeutic benefit of someone who is going to take responsibility for seeing this to the end and uh, being with that woman throughout is very valuable.
0: Thank you, Alan. Uh, I appreciate you bringing forward this concept of overdiagnosis and specifically overdiagnosis with regard to breast cancer and both what it means and how we can apply it to patients' care. I'm Frank Domino at the University of Massachusetts, and you've been listening to Frankly Speaking. We hope to see you next time.